I am Joe Posnanski, and with me is Michael Shore. Michael, welcome. Thank you for having me, Joe. You're welcome. Are you are you still are are we still a little bit high from from our our trip to Wrigley Field? I, our, I our, am. Yeah, I am. Yeah, I had that such was a, a great time. I I don't know if anyone listened to the uh, seven and a half hours of podcasting <laughs> that we did over two days, but um, it uh, part of the reason that even for us it was seven and a half hours long is that. Uh, uh, it was just so fun. We were just yeah. having such a good time and it, we were, um, it was like a real baseball immersion or something, you know, it felt like we were at, we we're at arguably, it's one of the two most famous baseball cathedrals that exist. We were with right. our friends. They were excited to have us there. We were thrilled to be there. Nick Offerman was there. There, there was like, there was playoff intensity baseball happening. Although as soon as we left the Cubs, completely <laughs> collapsed. <laughs> but they were, you know, the Cubs like beating up on the pirates as the brewers and Cardinals were also winning with the Cardinals lurking around the corner, like mid September. It just felt so fun. It was exactly the thing that makes you fall in love with baseball to begin with. It was such, such a blast. And it is very striking that, the minute we left, the Cubs went in the tank. Yeah. I mean, it, it's it's. In fact, it, it was the one of the worst weeks in like Cubs history. I mean, yeah, like, they, the, they've lost seven in a row or something, right? Six or seven in <laughs> yeah, a row since yeah, we left, and, and and losing four straight at home to the Cardinals by one run. Yeah, I don't. It doesn't get more painful than that. Including I mean, that's so- including a game where they bring in their closer with a two run lead in the ninth inning. And he gives up two solo homers on two back-to-back pitches. Like first pitch, 98 up in the zone, home run. Next pitch, 97 up in the zone, home run. And the game, suddenly they go from like, it's only a three-game lead in the Central to, oh, it's a five-game lead in the Central. Like it was, it just, they broke their backs. Like it, it is amazing how often the Cardinals do this. Like yet again, you know, they, how many Cardinals can you name? They're a player, a playoff team. They're a legitimate title contender, essentially. Oh, sure. Sure. How many, how many actual Cardinals can you name? And they, and they always, you know what the Cardinals do more than any other team is, and we've talked about this before, I think the Cardinals sign free agents and trade for players who you're like, oh, that guy was available and they got him? Like, how did this happen? It's always this sort of like Matt Holiday trade deadline pickup where it's like, they just got a guy who's got like 35 homers. Marcel Ozuna is the one that, Goldschmidt and Ozuna are the two this yeah. year, right? Where it's yeah. like, the, like those two guys are like top line players. Goldschmidt hasn't even had a very good year for them compared to his previous years, but right. he like, they, you're just like, wait, they have Paul Goldschmidt now? Like, how do they <laughs> they do they seemingly do this every year? It must be maddening. Like, it must be it must be completely maddening for the rest of the league, where the rest of the league fights and claws over like the same, you know, top level free agents. And the Cardinals never seem to be in on those guys. Right. They just like target the guy who like has a sneaky good 900 OPS and is like a little bit under the radar and costs 6 million less than the guys that everybody else is fighting over. And then they sign them and then they just make the playoffs year after year after year. And then of course, the other thing they do as we have definitely talked about before is suddenly they have someone named Jordan Hicks who throws 110 and you're just like, how, how, and then that guy goes down with injury and they just bring up another guy who throws 110. Uh, It's an amazing organization. 
Yeah, but they do have their. I remember thinking when remember when the Rams like got good, like when they were the St. Louis Rams. It's the St. Louis thing. Uh, and they got good, like out of nowhere, right? They were terrible, terrible, terrible. And then Trent Green got hurt, and and they bring up this third string quarterback who turns out to be unbelievable, right? Right. And and they and they go to the Super Bowl and win it, and they go to the Super Bowl again, and we know what happened. But that was one of those teams where you were like, you you st- you, you did no paid no attention to them at all, and then they started getting good, and you're like. Wow, they've got like a lot of good players. Like, I, I, how did they get all of these? Like, everywhere you look, suddenly, like, oh, they have the best left tackle in the game, and they have yep. like three great wide receivers, and the, and it wasn't like it was a surprise. That's how the Cardinals are the same thing. Because exactly what you said, it's like, oh yeah, yeah, I, they got Goldschmidt in like a deal that nobody paid attention to at the time, and oh yeah, they got Azuna. Oh yeah, they got Andrew Miller. You're like, how did they get Andrew Miller? Like, that- <laughs> and he's not even a closer, really, right? Like, they're bringing no. him in the seventh and stuff. I mean, there's there's two versions of this, right? Because there's the version the Cardinals do where they get they get guys that you've heard of who are who are like is somehow available to them and seemingly nobody else. It's as if they have. It's like they have first dibs on every free agent. Um, but then there's then there's the other version, which is what that Rams team was, where no one was even paying attention to them and they right, just sort of put right. that team together. Like we were talking to, when we were doing our seven and a half hours of podcasting, we were talking to um, Ryan Dempster about Johnny Gomes. And yes. when, so in 2013, uh, the, when the Red Sox signed Johnny Gomes to like a one year, $2 million deal or whatever, it was a, it was a, just a little like extra little right-handed bat off the bench kind of a yeah, deal. Nobody cared about it. Nobody cared about it. Brandon McCarthy texted me and said the Red Sox just won the World Series. This is true. I have proof. I took a screenshot of it long before 2013. He said the Red Sox just won the the World Series. And I thought he meant like because they have an extra, you know, right-handed hitter off the bench or whatever. And he was like, no, that guy's the best teammate in the world. Everybody loves him. He makes everybody happy. He's like a galvanizer in the clubhouse. And I was kind of rolling my eye, my sabermetric eyes <laughs> and, uh, and uh, not paying much attention to it. But Dempster said the same thing. Um, he oh, was he told like that, that great story. Yeah, remember that story about him walking in the door for for the the Reds. Oh no, it wasn't. It was Peavy. It wasn't, yeah, right. Peavy when Peavy walked in the door for the Red Sox. That was yeah. So great. Peavy, the story is we didn't we didn't tell us in our podcast, right? We're not we did not. He told us that in the dugout the day. Before. That's right. So the story is. Um, so the thing uh, I've heard before about Gomes is that guys would come in in the morning uh, in 2013 and see Johnny Gomes and they would go like, how's it going, Johnny? And he would shake his head and go like, one day closer to the parade. That's all that matters. We're one day closer to the parade. And, you know, that's a crazy attitude, right? But Jake, so Jake Peavy, they pick up at the deadline and Peavy comes into the clubhouse, according to Ryan Dempster. And uh, Gomes walks over to him immediately and goes like, hey, man, did you pick out your duck boat yet? And Peavy's like, what are, you, what are you talking about? And he's like, have you picked out your duck boat for the parade? Everyone's picking them out. You got to pick them out what color you want or like, or what size you want, like what number you want. Like we all got to pick them out. And this is like, you know, July 23rd or something. And he just had this kind of insane, like added, like positive attitude. Like he was like the walking embodiment of the secret where he just every day was like, we're winning the world championship this year. And so there's like, that's the other version. That's not what the Cardinals are to me. No, that's no. the like sneaky like low under under the radar no one's even paying attention to you and then suddenly you like get a bunch of those guys nobody thinks johnny gomes is like the key to the world no. series no so but the cardinals do the, the the so that's the that's the that's like what the rams were that's a little bit like what 
Um, it f- feels crazy to say this, but it's a little bit like what the Red Sox were last year, where it was like, you know, Mitch Moreland and and uh, guys yeah, like that. Yeah. It wasn't the big splashy guys. Um, and then they, the, but the Cardinals seem to do this other thing, which is they promote their guys from uh, the, they have an incredible farm system every year. They promote right. these incredible prospects. And then they just go get these pieces where like, they're great players and you just somehow, it it's like, they, it's like they weren't available to anyone but the Cardinals somehow. Yeah, it's so bizarre. It's It really is bizarre. And, you know, you look at that Cardinals team, and even with that, because you make exactly the right point, Goldschmidt's not having – I mean, he's having a good year. You know, it's a 32 homers, a 114 OPS plus, a perfectly fine year. Not a good year for him at all. And not right? a good year by 2019 standards. No. Paul DeJong is having his worst year, I believe, as uh, – as, yeah, I mean, you know, he's he's having – He's fine, you know. He's he's doing fine. Uh, even Azuna's having like he's having an okay year, but I mean he's not. You know he's got twenty nine home runs, but who doesn't? And and you know he's hitting two forty five and not getting on base. And yet you know they, it's still like they've got those guys, and it's still like they win anyway. It it doesn't it doesn't matter. I mean they yeah. they're tenth in the league in runs, and they're and they're still you know they're still an absolute World Series uh, challenge, and and they don't really have a great. Starting pitcher, I mean, Flaherty is probably the closest thing at the moment to to being a, a great starting pitcher for them. And I don't know. They're fascinating. The Cubs look to me on paper to be better, but it's pretty clear the Cubs are not better. And and yeah. uh, and that's uh, you know, it's it's too bad. I we probably the Cubs probably should have paid us to travel with them uh, for, <laughs> for the rest of the year. Let that be a lesson to you, <laughs> Chicago Cubs. Pay you us made a to huge keep us mistake. around. You made a huge mistake. Um, if, right, I, got- if I had told you before the uh, before the season started that someone named Dakota Hudson would be sixteen and seven for the Cardinals, would you have any idea what I was talking about? No, no. And and if you had just said Dakota Hudson, I would have absolutely said you Dakota know, Hudson uh, is like is the name of like a, a like a precocious child actor who's in like <laughs> well, a, was, who's in like a Disney I, show. <laughs> that's what I was thinking. We are not even sure if it's a boy or a girl. Yeah. And it doesn't matter. And and you know it's it's uh, yeah. I mean, I'll tell you what's really been cool uh, about the the Cardinals as of late is how how great Adam Wainwright's been. Yeah, like, that is you know, so fun he, to see. God. Still, he's the greatest guy. He's he's such an awesome. Such an awesome person, and and uh, and a, and a terrific, terrific pitcher. I mean, that's Adam Wainwrights are those kinds of guys who is like he's not going to the Hall of Fame, and people are not going to remember that he was a fabulous pitcher in yep. his prime, right? I mean, yeah, he really could have won, won two or three Cy Youngs. I mean, he was he was in the midst in the mix for for a bunch of them. So. And he had a whole seasons taken. He had at least one whole yeah, season two, taken away from him. Two, yeah, two, two, right? Yeah, yeah twenty fifteen, and then last year. And then last year, where he yeah. just had basically entire seasons taken away from. So anyway, great to see that. That uh, I'm not, I, I I'm not a huge you know Cardinals person in general. I mean, I'm they're fine. I'm I don't dislike them, but but could not be happier for for Adam Wainwright. All right, we're going to talk some baseball. We're going to talk some uh, some podcast tracking. We're gonna we're gonna track some podcast players. But before we do that, we never do this on 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 this show, and we should. Uh, because you actually have a, another life beyond outside of the show. As hard as that is to believe. Yeah. Yeah. You, I'm a professional television writer. <laughs> there are other things you do. It's weird. I, 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 people keep telling me that I'm like, no, I don't think so. I think it's all podcast for him. Um, but, but the good place is uh, premiering this week. The good place season four. It's almost over. 
this is so exciting. Season four. Season four. Our fourth and final season premieres Thursday. Uh, and uh, it's a good show, I think. But here's my question for you. This I don't know. Is sort I have of a, no idea how to self-promote. <laughs> it's a very it's, lackluster it's, effort. It's a, it's a show I do. It's and a thing it's, that exists on Earth. <laughs> here's my question for you, because one thing that that uh, that we've always been clear, you've always been clear, and, and I've always tried to echo, is you, you kind of have to watch all of it. You can't. It's it's it, you if you start watching it from the middle. It's a bit like uh, you know walking into the middle of a movie. That's 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 the feel. That's the idea. So at this point, we are now we are doing this on Tuesday. This will probably be out on Wednesday. Uh, we're a day before uh, the show comes out. If you have not watched all of it, what do you recommend? You got to go to Netflix and you yep. got to start from the beginning. Right. Uh, it feels daunting to say you need to watch three seasons of television <laughs> to catch up, but it's thirteen episodes a year. The episodes yeah. are about 21 minutes long. Okay. If you like, you can basically watch an entire season in one cross country flight. Um, That's true. So yeah. So uh, uh, if you do want to watch the show and listen, it's a free country, man, you know, no, live no. your life, do, do it. <laughs> like what you like. Everyone gets to like what he or she likes. But if you do want to watch the show, uh, you have to start from uh, season one, episode one, or you will you will be lost. You won't understand what's happening. Yeah, it's it's not it is not a kind of show. Like there are shows that you're like, oh, it will, it'll take you a little while to catch up. This is you won't catch up. Like this this is this there's too much there's too much going on for it to be like like even if somebody there is is who's sitting next to you has watched all of it, they're trying to explain it to you. It's not going to work. You have no. to actually see the show from the very beginning. Uh, I assume everybody who who listens to this crazy thing does has seen it from the very beginning. So I assume all of them could not be more excited. Um, was this? I know I've asked you this before, but this was like really emotional because you knew from the start this was going to be the last season, right? Yeah, we decided. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me, that's very unprofessional. We decided uh, <laughs> at the end of season one when we got brought back for season two that I, we kind of needed to figure out exactly how long this show should last. And uh, it's not a sort of traditional show that, um, you know, kind of moves slowly and or is designed to last as long as possible. It moves very quickly. So I started to feel like, you know, roughly 50 episodes, I thought sounded about right, which would be four 13 episode seasons, give or take. Oh, so yeah. Yeah. Um, so we, that was the idea. We didn't commit to it fully until... I wanted to make sure that I wasn't missing something or that we didn't have an idea that took it in a new direction and that opened up the world or whatever. Uh, and then after, but it, it, it kept seeming like that was the right length. And then after season three finished, uh, I was like, yeah, this is the right move. So I went and told my bosses and, uh, and they were very understanding. It's a new world, not to get too deep into the weeds here of the business of television, but in the old days, the goal was as many as you can for as long as you can, because that was how, that was the only way that people could studios could make money was by just making, you know, hundreds and hundreds of episodes and then selling them into syndication. That doesn't really right. exist anymore. So now there's this different system where after one year, you know, you put the reruns on Netflix or Hulu or Amazon or wherever, and they're paying you for them if you're the studio, which means they can make money right away instead of having to wait and hope that they get to like a hundred. So that means that you can kind of call your own shot a little bit. Um, you know, you can, you can sort of design, it used to be that everybody had to paint on the same size canvas. And now everyone gets to say like, I want my canvas to be this big. And 
I want it to look like this. And everyone is fine with it because you can, as long as studios can make money, what do they care? So, um, so after I told them after season three and they were very understanding and we went into the season knowing it was the last season and planning it out really carefully and stuff. So it's a very rare thing that you get to do that in TV. You don't often get to call your own shot like that. And I'm very grateful that this all worked out the way it did. It's really cool. It's really cool. And I have to say, I mean, and, and this, this, this connection might make no sense to you at all. Uh, but my daughter, my oldest daughter, who is a senior in, in high school now, just so everybody can understand how old I am, um, a senior in high school, she is taking a, a graphic novels class. And and part of that is, you know, they're just doing all kinds of things to, to sort of open their minds and using uh, comic strips and, 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 and graphic novels and all these other things. So one of the things they sent her home with was like um, a Calvin and Hobbes uh cartoon with none of the words on it and she had to she had to like write oh that's fun which is really fun and and she did a great one i have to admit i i thought it was it was cool it was clear that she had you know i she was raised on calvin and Hobbes somewhat so she she got the she got the references very quickly and it was really really fun and she did a great job with it but the point i wanted to make was it made me think of of the good place in the sense of the way that calvin and Hobbes sort of reinvented like how you could do a comics room, like like physically how you could do it, right? Like you could make it two big two big boxes instead of three, or you can just make it one crazy you know box, and just just the way they change the shape and the form and and all of that. And I mean, I kind of feel like you did that a little bit with with the Good Place in the sense of it's just a it's a different it is a different model in the sense of that it's chapters and the sense of that you do have to sort of keep up with it. Uh, from the beginning, but it's a comedy and, and, and each show has its own, you know, you know, jokes that, that people would get immediately. So it's, I, anyway, I just thought that you you played with the form in the same way that Calvin and Hobbes did a little bit. You're saying we're the Calvin and Hobbes of primetime yes. comedy. Oh my, and what would be better than I that? Mean, I'll, is there, I'll could, totally take that as a compliment. <laughs> <laughs> could you, that's, that's as good a compliment as I could give you. I, I can't think of a better thing to say than being the Calvin and Hobbes of, of, uh, of, of comedy. So well, as long as we're in the, in the mode of, uh, shameless self-promotion, we should talk about Houdini, oh. which, which comes out. I don't know if anyone knows this, but Joe wrote a book. He's very shy about talking about it. He doesn't like to bring it up. But you're not only, not only is the book coming out next month, you're embarking on like a, a global goodwill ambassador tour of book, <laughs> bookstores all over the world. Right. When, so to get, tell people where they can come see you, uh, yeah. to promoting your book. Yeah, we're still in the midst of, of working some stuff. Thank you, by the way. I didn't know that I'd mentioned this to you. You have. I, I you mentioned it once a long time ago, and I made a note like Thank Joe's you. not going to bring this up again, so <laughs> I should bring it up for him down the road. And now here we are. Thank you for doing that. Yes. So very, very quickly, because there's because it's not uh, there are still some things going on uh, that are they're building up, but I'm going to be. Uh, starting the tour October 18th. The book comes out October 22nd. I'm starting the tour October 18th in Cheyenne, Wyoming, uh, because the delightful people at the Lar- Laramie County uh, Library uh, had an open invitation to me for that day, and it just so happened to work out that it was you know perfectly aligned with the book. So I'm going to be in Cheyenne for the first time. Very, very excited. Then I'm going to LA, and I'll be doing several events in LA, including, I'm happy to announce this one, uh, October 21st. Uh, the last bookstore. You can buy uh, tickets, and the tickets are just the price of the book 
online now. You can you could up a it, it, you can go to last bookstore. Uh, la.com or you can go uh just look up uh, you know uh houdini and and last bookstore november 20 uh, excuse me october 21st that evening i am doing a a kickoff event with nick offerman so Whoa. which is uh, oh my gosh nick offerman agreed to do that's what is wrong with him he, he is so he's he's too nice of a person you yeah, know, he's, he's a just, he's a deeply kind. He's an upsettingly kind human being. Upsettingly kind. <laughs> that is that is the perfect description. So I'm doing that in November. Uh, I'll be in LA uh, for a couple more days. I'm actually going to Vroman's in Pasadena, October 23rd. I'm going to do a, an event out there with John Cox, uh, who is uh, probably the leading Houdini uh, person, Houdini expert in the world. Going to Kansas City on the 24th, going to be in New York uh, the 28th through the through Halloween, I believe. Um, I'm coming to Tulsa. So lots of events, uh, going back to L.A., going to Washington, going to Boston, going to Chicago. Lots of events still coming up. We haven't finalized all the details. I will put all of those things uh, on a calendar that I will link to on online. But uh, but uh, yes, I, I, I have to say, I mean, I, and I know I, I do joke about this. I am so excited for this. I can't even begin to tell you how excited. I I love this book so much, and and I love that that I can go out there with it and and uh, and uh, and talk magic and bring. I'm going to bring magicians. I'm going to do an event in New York with Joshua J, uh, the awesome uh, magician. He's going to do some some incredible Houdini uh, slights and and some sleight of hand. So, yeah, very very excited. Can't wait to see everybody. Uh, and uh, and and maybe sell a few books. There you I go. That's that's sort of the point. And I assume you can order the book on Amazon and uh, wherever fine books are sold. It, it is, and I th- thank you for doing that because I'll bring up one other point. It is available Amazon, Barnes and Noble, IndieBound, um, all of the uh, uh, you know all of the places you can pre-order books. It, it is available for pre-order. Would love for you to do it if you would like to get a priest, a signed and inscribed book. So Ooh. we are doing this, this is a special, uh, special offer that, that I'm only uh, saying to uh, people who would actually care to listen. Um, we are having a special offer to you. You need to go to rainydaybooks.com. That is the uh, independent bookstore in Kansas city. Uh, and my, my favorite independent bookstore, it's rainydaybooks.com. If you pre-order the book, I will sign it on November, excuse me, October 25th, the day after my event. I will sign it and I have, and I have promised this already, I will inscribe it with anything you want. So I will literally, I will tell you, (laughs) I will, I will tell you, I will list off the people who scootered this year. I will, uh, I will, you know, and, but I have, but I do have an asterisk that the author does reserve the right to uh, to deny, uh, you know, uh, upsetting or offensive requests. Yeah, of course, uh, right. And and the specific reason I did that is not because I believe anybody who would order this book would actually ask me to write anything offensive. Except Seppenwall already has suggested to people that they write that I have to write Yankees are great, Ugh. and the, this author will deny that request. So if you if you try to trick me into saying Yankees are great or that fruit pie is disgusting or something. <laughs> Oh, wait a second. Well, now I endorse this. <laughs> now, now I endorse this. Uh, only that one. I don't want anyone to try to get you to write anything that is upsetting and also factually incorrect. But <laughs> hot fruit is disgusting. Might be upsetting to you, but it's factually correct. So I think you should make an exception for that. 
In fact, I'm going to right now, I'm going to do this. I'm going to order the book from rainydaybooks.com and demand that you write that in my book. And uh, and we'll we'll test the limits of our friendship. <laughs> we will te- we will definitely test the limits of our friendship. But, but last point on this, uh, Alan Sepinwall just wrote two amazing pieces about uh, the Good Place, which you can see on uh, over at Rolling Stone, or you can go to his web, his uh, Twitter and and link. However, it was clear that you gave Alan Sepinwall pretty pretty significant access, and. He's Alan Seppenwall. What in the heck was going on there? Well, he uh, he's a, here's the deal with Seppenwall. His <laughs> views on sports are obviously morally abhorrent. They're morally abhorrent. And, they are. And indefensible. Um, <laughs> and I have suggested to multiple people, including him on more than one occasion, that he should be brought up on war crimes uh, tribunal at The Hague <laughs> because of his belief in the Yankees, specifically and in New York sports right. in general, and in the way that he has taunted me at various points by just texting me a picture of David Tyree. So <laughs> that is that the, mo- multiple things can be true simultaneously. That true. is true. And also, I have always really enjoyed his criticism of television. His, He's his a great criticism writer. of television is great. very thoughtful and measured and, uh, and level-headed and very insightful. Uh, and I say this, uh, he has, I would say generally liked the things that I've done, but occasionally hasn't, <laughs> but even, <laughs> even when he hasn't, or has been critical of the show, like the, the criticism isn't just like it, it's coming from a place of sort of like a, a understanding of, of TV that I admire. And I also very frequently find myself, uh, and Linda, by the way, Linda Holmes is like this too. The people we've had on the show, uh, who are, who work in that, uh, division, um, they are excellent critics and they they have an ability to sort of write about television in a way that I, I find enjoyable, even when uh, it's not something I've worked on or any of my friends have worked on or anything. I just like their writing. I just like watching, yeah, listening to them write writers. about TV. And, and that's, there's a lot of halo effects of this kind of explosion of TV that we've uh, seen over the last 20 years. And it's not just like there's a lot more great shows on and there's a lot more interesting characters and blah, blah, blah. There's also a lot more good writing about TV so uh, that has happened. The TV criticism used to be sort of like just like you would review people would review the pilot of a show and that was it. And now and then like the Internet sort of opened up this new thing of like sort of like weekly recapping. And I think it's like it's sort of a 10,000 hours, like get your reps in kind of a thing where a bunch of people started instead of writing about TV once a, basically in the fall and then again in the spring, they were writing about TV every day. And as a result, everyone got better at writing about TV and the yeah. criticism got more thoughtful and more nuanced. And the kind of discussion, the halo discussion, the meta discussion about TV uh, became itself became a sort of new art form and, and is being done at a very high level by a lot of people. So sadly, uh, I had to welcome in essentially a morally <laughs> abhorrent uh, person into my world uh, in order to write about the show that I worked for. I did not, I actually didn't see him when he was here. He, uh, or maybe oh. I did briefly, but he was mostly sort of hanging out on the set and observing the, the actual shooting of it, which I tend not to be in that area. I tend to be up in the writer's room. I did talk to him for the piece, but I, but mostly when he was here, I didn't have to suffer the indignity of standing next to him and listening to him talk about Aaron Judge and and uh, and Gio Urshela. We should we should we should add that Linda Holmes, um, in addition to being a, a breathtakingly uh, good writer and and 
uh, speaker and and person on the radio and all these other things is not morally abhorrent, right? She 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 no. gives us the Seppenwall without being without the Seppenwall uh, Yankee thing. This is really a good point. It's it's like it's right there in front of us. The answer is right there in front of us. Cut Seppenwall out of our lives <laughs> and only allow Linda. Because she gives you like excellent uh, journalism and criticism without the morally abhorrent uh, stance on New York sports. I feel like it's been staring us right in the face this whole time. <laughs> also, by the way, after talking to Dempster, I mean, I kind of want to cut Brandon out and let yeah. Dempster in. Dempster's a very charming guy and uh, doesn't want to devote his life to being a power washer and doesn't taunt me for liking the Red Sox too much. There's there's a great line. I don't even know if you wrote it in the office, uh, very early in the office where uh, Amy Adams is on the show as uh, the, uh, you know, the, she's selling purses or whatever. Right. And uh, and Michael calls her Pam 2.0. Oh, look how beautiful right. you are. You're, you're Pam 2. Dempster is Brandon 2.0. That's, totally. that's it's like, right. He's like, he brings whatever Brandon actually gives us like, like from a good perspective without having played uh, for the Yankees <laughs> and, 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 and sort of proudly talking about that. Yeah. I mean, give me a break. Do I we mean, want, what do we want? Who do we want hanging out with us on this podcast? Long-term do we want a guy who uh, has a lot of really weird um, character <laughs> traits uh, and like wants to be a power watcher, loves trans Siberian orchestra and played for the Yankees? Or do we want a guy who told an awesome story about drilling A-Rod and played for the Red Sox? This is a no-brainer. Brandon out, Dempster in. I think it's fair. I don't. I really don't see any other way around look, this. Yeah, I have to, look, if, if Brandon, if you're listening to this, even you have to agree this is a good deal for us. <laughs> he's, he's got to agree. He's got to he agree. There's nothing he can say. Like, it's a, it's a, this is a, I can't believe I didn't come up with this sooner. I should have, I sort of did it when we were talking to Dempster. It's kind of like, I, I asked him who had the better career, him or, him or Brandon. He immediately said him, by the way. He did. And he, uh, didn't, I, he didn't pause. And he's right. Yeah. He's but right. I didn't go far enough. I should, have, I should have made the offer right there and then. Do you want to officially replace Brandon as a person who hangs out on this <laughs> podcast with us? Because there isn't room for two of you. <laughs> we only do it. We only, when we do this podcast, we only do it for like one to seven hours per time we do it. Like there's no room. We don't have any room for multiple guests here. We have to, we have to really limit the roster of people who can contribute. The so, one thing you have to say about Brandon, though, and and I don't know that Dempster or, or anyone else can, we will get the weirdest texts from him. Just weird, like like what is that? Like yeah. where did that come from? And and I don't know. I don't. I I I'd miss that. I think I'd miss that. Yeah, that's true. We do get weird texts from him. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, we should also reiterate. Uh, so uh, w- w- soon coming up, we really do want to have Megan Amram on to yes. uh, do a pun oh my draft. Gosh. And to talk about puns and writing, yes. Um, how, we, how have we had how have we had Sep in a wall on this podcast numerous times that we've not had Megan Amram? I don't on know. We, we need to have Amram on because um, if you want to waste time talking about nothing, she is like a world class <laughs> time waster. Uh, so yeah, that that should be our next goal. We're gonna make that happen. Megan Amram, writer of uh, on Parks and Rec and and the Good Place with me, and a brain unlike any I've ever encountered. Uh, we're going to try to have her on to talk about writing and puns and um, and also the fact, I think I mentioned this before, but Megan um, doesn't know anything about sports, uh, but w- wanted to know the name That's of one greatest. athlete 
Have I talked great. about it before? I can't remember. She wanted to know the name. We talked about it on the podcast. Okay. We talked about it at dinner last week. This she is wanted, the greatest thing ever. She wanted to know the name of one athlete so that whenever the room started talking about sports, she could just chip in and, and feel like she's contributing. <laughs> and she heard the name Dante Pachette, and she was like, "Okay, that's the athlete I know." So now, anytime we're talking about sports, she'll just mention. She'll say something like, "Oh, that's like Dante Bichette." She doesn't know who he is really, or whatever. So for a present one year, I got her. I found an old Dante Bichette baseball card when he was on the Rockies, and I gave it to her as a present. And then this incredibly exciting thing happened, which was Bo Bichette came up and uh, and and started raking. And was I was great. like, Megan, yeah. I texted her. I was like, Megan, something very important is happening. Yeah, after five years of talking about Dante Bichette. Look what look what's happening now, and she's now so now she's into Bo Bichette. Um, she also because she likes puns, uh, she loves the fact that Bo Bichette sounds like Boba Fett. It's all it's great for her. It's really this whole thing has been great. So we'll have her on to talk about literally that, which is the only thing she knows about sports and also writing and puns. Uh, writing and be- puns will be great, but honestly, I want an hour on Boba Bichette and Boba Fett. Right. That's all I want. That's no, all you'll I want. Get it. Look, if you want, <laughs> if you want, <laughs> if you want an hour on any p- one pun or millions of puns, you will get that hour. Um, so we'll get her on uh, as soon as we can when uh, in, in the next couple of weeks. Very, very exciting. All right. Speaking of exciting, we have to talk a little bit about the podcast players. Uh, but before we go to this year's podcast players. Exciting news yesterday, and I, I, I mean, I'm, I know I'm saying something that everybody already knows because it's it's so obvious. I know it led Sports Center and all that, but but I do think we should discuss it. Uh, Trey Mancini uh, scootered yesterday. Did he really? I didn't even know. <laughs> oh, how did you miss it? I don't it's know. I guess I missed Sports Center. <laughs> Look at uh, that. Good for as you, everybody buddy. Knows, I know. Good for you, Trey. Trey Mancini, we are giving you a shout out. Freddie Freeman has also uh, scootered. So oh. we have two two people scootering. Everybody knows the scooter is uh, 35 uh, doubles. No, wait. 45 walks, 35 doubles, <laughs> 25 homers, 15 grounded into double plays. And uh, and Mancini yesterday, in, in, uh, he, he, he picked up uh, – I believe he picked up the doubles, I think. And, uh, and he now has and now, 36 doubles on the year. 36 doubles, yeah. And he's got the 25 homers and he's got 20. Gra- he, he breezed on the double plays. So uh, good for you. Trey Mancini having a heck of a year, by the Trey way. Trey Mancini, the, the Orioles are obviously like putrid and pathetic and sad, but <laughs> Trey Mancini scored 101 runs. He has yeah. 36 doubles, 34 homers. He, uh, RBIs. He's a three-win player this year for a team yeah. that has, I think, a total of four wins. So they, well, and he's and he's only a three and he's only a three-win player because his defense is not very good. Right. He, he's really a four, you know, four-win player, four to five-win player, uh, except for his defense. So, um, good on you, Trey Mancini. You Trey are, Mancini, I think, will hit Arb next year for the first time. And can you can you imagine how desperately? He wants to be out of there. I mean, maybe oh. they'll trade him right there. There's no way he stays as a free agent probably in three years. So I wonder if the going into his RB or if they would trade him and just try to roll up, roll in some some young prospects. I mean, he's 27. So like he's going to hit free agency when he's like 29 or 30. And he'll, he'll he's going to be a very expensive player. Like I wonder if they that he might be a candidate for if if there's a competent GM in Baltimore, which is a huge if. Uh, they might consider shipping him out when he still has uh, two or three years of team control. Well, I would think so, and and I have to say, I'm I'm become much more fascinated, particularly built around our 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 uh, podcast player Nicholas uh, Castellanos. Yeah, when you escape 
like that kind of horror show like they have in, in Baltimore or Detroit or 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 Kansas City or Miami or you know one of these one of these teams that that is just you know tanking or not you know particularly competitive or whatever and go to a good team I mean I mean Castellanos the weekend we were there that guy was like he was two feet off the ground he was he was so happy it was right? so I mean, fun that was so was, fun to watch him hit man yeah and he yeah. stayed hot even through the Cardinal series not quite as hot but he he just is like uh He's just, uh, I was reading about your article, you, you wrote a piece on him and he was like, he was always considered like a, a sort of a Roy Hobbsian hitter, right? He was just a sort of a natural yes. hitter. Yes. Um, and it's like, he was just doing it in, in, in Detroit where no one cared. And then suddenly he gets on the national stage and it's like, oh, this guy's like an incredible hitter. Like he's just an incredible hitter. hitter. <laughs> he really, he really, really is just an amazing, amazing hitter. So we'll start with him because he, he is, he is, as everybody knows, going after the Paz Castellanos, which is 60 doubles. And we are keeping this track, by the way, if you go to, um, I think you tweeted this out too, but if you go to Mike's uh, Twitter or my Twitter, I believe we have the link for the um, sheet that we keep, the spreadsheet that we keep on a daily basis. We'll talk about the Homer spreadsheet, uh, I'm sure, before we're done. But one of the spreadsheets is to follow the Paz Castellanos, and he is up to 58 doubles. So He's, he's got, got a real legit chance. Like, he's got a real shot. He's got two more doubles, and he's got, what, five, six more games. So He's at Pitt, he's at Pitt for three and at St. Louis for three. So he's got six games. He needs two doubles in six games. I feel like he's going to do it, man. I, I really he's do. He's going to do it, especially because it's clear he knows what's happening. He knows about the Paz Castellanos. He knows it's already been named for him. He wants because, to do it for the fans of this podcast, the, <laughs> right? <laughs> That's I, I think, look, the other day, uh, I guess one of those days against the Cardinals, he hit a ball – and he he decided to turn a single, true single, into a double, right? And he was out by, what would you say, legitimately, 15 feet? I mean, he should have been out by 15 feet, yeah. 10, 15 10, feet. 15 feet, yeah. And he made an amazing slide and got in there, and the Cardinals, even they couldn't believe that that he actually made it. Um, oh, it was against the Reds, not against the Cardinals. Right. Um, and he and he and the Reds didn't believe it, and they they challenged, but he did make it. So this guy is going to go for it. I mean, he if, if he gets the ball in play, he is going to try to turn singles into doubles, and he's doing it for the fans of this podcast. There's yeah, no question. He really is. So the Castellanos, I think we're going to get there. So, but unfortunately, I don't think we're going to get to many of the others. But let's let's go through him. Uh. Tim Anderson, who is, I guess, the official podcast player, right? Yeah, he's our he's our 2019 podcast player. Yeah, 2019 podcast player. Uh, for those of you who know, Tommy Pham was our first podcast player. Uh, Scooter Jeanette, our second. Tim uh, Anderson is our third podcast player. Tim Anderson having just a wonderful season. Just a wonderful, wonderful season. He's leading the league in hitting. He's got the plate appearances. So, so if he continues to lead the league, he will win a batting title. Um, but what we were hoping for is that he would only walk 11 times, the Tito Fuentes. Um, it's only happened uh, a handful of times. He is not going to walk only 11 times. He's up to 13 walks. So as wonderful as it is, he does have a chance at the lowest on-base percentage for a right. batting champion. Right, which um, is great. His on-base percentage is 20 points higher than his batting average. <laughs> <laughs> and, and a lot of that is the three times he's been hit by pitch, right? Yeah. I mean, like that's otherwise it would be even less than that. Um, 
He's so fun. He's, He's great. So um, I, I mean, it's very important he wins the batting title because the alternative is that DJ LeMayhew wins the batting title, and that's uh, not acceptable in our country. Oh, speaking um, of Brandon, we just had a big old argument with Brandon about DJ LeMayhew. Yeah, he was he was all up in our grill about how everyone knew that DJ LeMayhew was a great hitter and blah 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 and. Why is everyone freaking out that he's doing this? And he was a go. He he was the guy no one wanted to face in Colorado. And then you just wrote back ninety nine career OPS plus, <laughs> which was a, a great retort. Uh, but yeah, that was like that was weird. He got angry at us for some reason. He, he was uh, very mad. He, he was he was very mad that we were underplaying yeah. DJ LeMay. When really we were not. We were saying that something about the Yankees turned DJ LeMayhu in a monster. And he was sort of trying to make this argument that he's always been a monster and he has not. So, no. so, so sorry. Um, I, can I say one more thing about Tim Anderson though, is Tim Anderson has been played baseball four years at the professional level sure. in, in the first, first two years in the league. He walked exactly 13 times last year. He walked 30 <laughs> this year. He's walked 13 again. So theoretically, next year he could be our Chris Davis guy, where we're rooting, oh, we're rooting yes. for a new thing, which is for him to walk thirteen times. What the heck happened last year for him to walk thirty times? I don't know. It's a really good question because it was his arguably his worst offensive year. His yeah. all time career low in batting average. His his OBP fell to two was two eighty one. Oh, there's two seventy six the year before. But yeah, uh, yeah he it, it was not a good year. For him, uh, really, it was pr about the same as the year before. But yeah, he, I guess he just, I don't know, he just, maybe he was hitting you know too aggressive. He was too aggressive. That <laughs> was the problem last year. He was not aggressive enough. He should have walked less, though, then. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. He was not aggressive enough. I'm yeah, sorry. that's right. Um, yeah. But, uh, you know, that they could be a new, I hope he wins the batting title this year. I love him. I love watching him play. If it, regardless of whether he does, I feel like next year we should have him back onto the roster of podcast players in order to root for him to walk exactly 13 times. However, asterisk, if he walks again this year, that goes out the window because it's not as yes. fun. Yes. Well, so no more walking, Tim. Tim, 13 is Listen enough. Listen to me, Tim. <laughs> 13 is enough. The only thing I love about it is that he's walked 13 times. His first year, he had 400, 431 plate appearances. He walked 13 times. The next year, he had 606 plate appearances, and he walked 13 times. So yeah. it's like – He gets to 13, matter. and he's like, I feel like I'm good. I feel like I did it. I've, I've walked 13 times. What else do you want from me? It doesn't look like anybody's going to pull off the Baylor this year, uh, which everybody knows is uh, 30 walks, 30 hit by pitches, and 30 homers. Right. Um, Derek Dietrich was our best hope for the Baylor, but he is uh, – it's not going to happen. It's, it's not going to happen. So yeah. uh, next year we'll hope for the Baylor. We still love the half Baylor, which is more hit by pitches than walks. And there was somebody – There's. it's not actually on our list, but – we were talking about somebody last week who had more hit by pitches than walks. There are yeah. a few guys. And Dietrich still theoretically has a chance. He's been hit 25 times this year and he has 28 walks. So he needs to go on a run. He needs to like, he needs to infuriate some pitchers and then get plunked a bunch of times and then like get tossed out of a game. So he can't walk. Like it's still, it's not going to happen, but it's still at least possible. It's not, it's not impossible. He, All did, right. he has set a, a career high in hit by pitches, by the way, with 25. So good, good work, Derek. 
<laughs> that's a lot of hit by pitch. And that's it not is. a lot of plate appearances for him. To He's get been hit 118 by. times and essentially like, let's see, in basically six years worth of games, not even five years worth of games. Would you play in the major leagues if your number one skill was getting hit by pitches? I mean, would would you would you be willing to endure that pain in order to play in the major leagues? I mean, are you? Am I in my current forty three year old sad body? With no, <laughs> no, no, because one hit by pitch could kill you. I'm yeah. talking about like you're you're young, you're Derek Dietrich like. Although he also hits home runs, so, but let's say you couldn't hit home runs. You're really your only skill was you could get hit by pitch fifty times a year. So I'm would a you- I'm a I'm essentially a twenty fifth guy on a roster and. They bring me in like in the eighth when I when the pitcher spot is leading off that I pinch hit. You're a second baseman. You're probably I'm I'm gonna make you a scrappy, good defensive second. You're like a Glenn Hubbard type of second baseman. You're making me Uh, you're I'm Bill Doran. Oh, oh, Bill Doran! Before Bill Doran got hit, Bill Doran was like was like a good player. You're you're I I think you're more like um I don't know. Hubbard is the guy. Am I Lemke? Oh, you're Mark Lemke. That's who you are. I'm Mark Lemke. Yeah, I would do it. I mean, you get to play baseball every day. I mean, well, why? Why yeah, wouldn't I do that? Pitch, that yeah, but if good. I if I'm a if I'm in a professional athlete's physique, I mean, it's like yeah, I'll get bruised, but like it's it's not like we, you know, we if were I can burn my face. I'm fine. <laughs> we were amazed watching like. Uh, when Pittsburgh was hitting Cubs left and right, like those Cubs would get hit and they'd be like, ow. And then they just go to first base, like nothing had happened. Like, yeah. You just got hit by a baseball, like thrown really hard. That yeah. doesn't seem. All right. Chris Davis, let's cue the music. Can Chris Davis hit 247? Five years in a row. So Chris Davis is not going to hit 247 this year. It's it's done. There's no chance of it. He's only hitting 217. However, we decided that we would allow another angel, I mean another uh, athletic to uh to take his place if if one of them could do it. And there are three um A's who have a real shot at hitting 247. Matt Chapman, who is the guy that I would hope would do it because I think that's such a good teammate thing to do. He's hitting 246 at the moment. Yep. Josh, Josh Fegley is hitting 245 and Robbie Grossman's hitting 243. Somebody's going to do it. Somebody's going to hit uh, 247. Yeah, Piscotti, who is Piscotti's, I think, going to miss the rest of the season because he's on the IL, but he's at 252. So a couple, like a, a 1 0 for 5 from Piscotti would do it too if he can come back in time. I'm not sure he can. Yeah. Yeah. I, I like, um, I like Matt Chapman. I think you know Chapman's got enough plate appearances and enough at bats that that you know he could it thing could be arranged where he could hit two forty seven and get MVP votes at the same time. I mean that <laughs> uh, that's I have to say like no one is going to talk about this because there are so many other things going on in baseball this year. The Oakland A's are unbelievable. Like they're unbelievable. They're just unbelievable. They are. Once they're doing the exact same thing that they did 20 years ago when Billy Bean wrote that famous book about himself, Moneyball. They're doing the exact same thing. They're, they're just, they're like, they're not famous. They're not well-known. They don't know. You can't name the players on the team, but somehow or another, there they are. They've got whatever, 94 wins, uh, if it weren't for the Astros being absurd, they would be running away with their division. They're going to end up with 96 or 7 wins. Yeah, They're going to make yeah. the playoffs. They're probably going to lose in the wild card game. That's what the <laughs> A's do. Uh, and if they don't, they'll lose to the Yankees. But they, I, I just, they're, uh, God, Billy Bean, man. Uh, it, so it just kind of 
it's just unbelievable what he does with the with with fifty dollars and a stadium that everyone hates uh, in a city that doesn't care about <laughs> baseball. He does this so much more often than he has any right to do it. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Him and David Force, you know, I mean, give give David That's give right. David credit as well. It's it's amazing, and and it's amazing because it is their their roster honestly looks like it's like it's it looks made up like their roster looks like one of those video games where they couldn't get the rights to the names right it's like <laughs> like who what like every one of these guys chris bassett what like that's that's not a real person especially spelled bassett b-a-s-s-i-t-t like yeah. that, that doesn't and that guy's good like chris bassett is good and liam Hendricks is is ridiculous okay he's just ridiculous liam Hendricks is their closer he's 30 he's played on every team in baseball uh, at least once, maybe twice. And he's like unhittable. He's absolutely unhittable this year. I, how did that happen? There's there's just something really crazy about the way they do things. And, and you know, they don't care. They One of the things they do that I love, and this is obviously was the Moneyball thing, is they don't care about stuff that other teams care about, right? They don't care how it looks. They don't care. They they lead the league in getting hit by pitch, right? Yeah. Like they like that's like that's that's part of their strategy. It's part of their game. I mean, they don't care what the batting average is. They don't care, um, you know, about any. They don't. They they certainly don't steal bases. They don't try to do that. They just they just play solid, consistent, and smart baseball. You know, they the most A's thing in the world is that Mark Canna has twenty six home runs this year and fifty eight RBI. <laughs> I don't know why. I don't know why that's so A's-ish, but it really is, isn't it? It's like twenty-six homers and fifty-eight RB. What is happening over there? It's like yeah. <laughs> they. I mean, the Oakland A's this year. Again, the a casual fan can name exactly zero Oakland A's, right? Yeah, they have right. two hundred and fifty home runs. Like they're oh, yeah. they're like they're they're in, they were they're right in the mix. Of, having, yeah, that's with Chris Davis having a bad year. Yeah. Yes, and I mean, they have every single one of their. They can start an entire, uh, in fact, probably frequently do start a starting nine, who are all in double digits and home runs, and four, six, seven of them have more than twenty. Just oh yeah, everybody up and down the lineup can hit, and Ramon Laureano is kind of the best defensive center fielder in the league. And right. this year, by the way, this year is suddenly hitting like a ton. Yeah. Like he's, he's, he's got it. Yeah. He's, yeah. yeah he, he's, um, he's like an incredible, he's a three and a half or four win player. Uh, and it's just, it's just amazing. It's really great. I just, I hope, I hope that we're, they somehow just go on a crazy run. It would be really fun if the A's made the ALCS and like suddenly like a, the country was forced to confront these two, this <laughs> weird anomalous thing that happens in the Bay area where there's an entire team made up of people you've never heard of who are who like don't care about your don't they don't care about your fandom they care about baseball and they're really good at it i would love it so much if, for for lots of reasons but i would love it so much if that team went to the world series oh, i would love great. to see a world series played in that stadium i think that would be really <laughs> funny don't you think that would be just so funny like yeah. it would be let's dress this up like no you're not going to dress that place up nope. so um love it all right uh friend no reyes I think we both probably agree at this point that trying to name the Quad Reyes after, uh, which is four times as many homers as doubles, after Fran Mill Reyes was probably a mistake. Yeah, in retrospect. That's right. You know, we 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 should have called it the Killebrew uh, of some kind because Killebrew actually did it. 
in in uh, one year he hit 49 homers and 11 doubles, which is so awesome. Killebrew would have been podcast player of the year every year. Yeah. We would have just loved that guy so much. 49 homers and 11 doubles. I mean, that's, that's amazing. That's awesome. Yeah. That is awesome. Uh, Gary Sanchez is actually going to be the closest to getting the, uh, to getting the Quadreas. He's not going to come that close, but he might go three times while he's hurt. Right. I mean, is he, is he back? Is what's I the... think, he, I think they're going to probably hold him out for the rest of the regular yeah, season. I think. Wrong. Yeah. I was actually really surprised to see the Cleveland's bringing, uh, Ramirez back. Jose yeah. Ramirez is. Like I was too. Like, although they must just, he's had such a rocky year. Maybe they just feel like he needs a couple tune-up games or something in case. And also, I they're they're so. out of the playoffs right now, aren't they? Are they are they in no, as right, we speak? They, right now, I think they're tied with Tampa. Are okay, they not? right. I mean, yes, they are. Really, really. No, they're actually a half game behind Tampa. But okay. but yeah, I mean they're they're right there. And Ramirez, it's so weird because Ramirez got off to like the worst start of Miami. He was hitting like one eighty. And then he got really hot. So he was having like a really good time before when he was getting hurt. So anyway, he is uh, – there will be nobody who's going to get the Quadreus this year. Nobody's really going to come close to getting the Quadreus. But uh, we're not going to change the name. No. Once, once we go, can't, once we go, we can't, go. Can't no. do it. Have you noticed that since we were hoping for Justin Verlander to give – to? Uh, you know, do the Bly 11, which is to give up 50 home runs in a season. He has not given up a single home run. It since is, then, it is insane. It's like we cursed him. I'm a reverse curse. Or, or blessed him. Yeah. I don't remember what we did. I don't know. Yes. Honestly, he was giving up home runs every two seconds. And now, first of all, he's unhittable. But second of all, he's uh, he, he doesn't give up home runs anymore. It's like that thing is over. All right. So you have to say, we have to talk about this because I think they're identical. Absolutely identical. If you had to give the Cy Young to Justin Verlander or Garrett Cole, who are you going to give it to? I flip a coin. I really do. I, I mean, okay, it's, here, it's the, case, the case for Verlander is he leads the league in ERA starts, innings, uh, ERA yeah. plus, whip, um, hits per nine innings, strikeouts per walk. Like he leads the league in a ton of categories that Cole right. doesn't lead the league in. That that would well, be your second inning. But second that's the thing. Cole, right. <laughs> Cole's second in all those categories. And uh and you know, I I I when you watch them pitch, Cole, by the way, leads the league in strikeouts and FIP and, and FIP, yeah, up for is- nine. Like it's not like he's a slouch. And his <laughs> and and you know, Verlander's ERA at this moment is two fifty eight and Cole's is two sixty one. So what does it mean to lead the league in ERA if it's yeah three exactly. hundredths of a run? Um you know, whatever Verlander's pitched in what amounts to two more games worth of innings that matters when you're talking about value. Right. Cole has struck out, you know, 40 more guys or 25 more guys or whatever it is that also matters in terms of value. I, it, I, I literally think you flip a coin. I also kind of want them to split it. Like, I think that I would, would be, love that. Yeah. Like love the, the appropriate thing this year uh, in, in a year where, Literally everyone in the league has 20 home runs. We'll talk about this in a second with the homers list, but there are now on average four guys on every team who have 20 home runs. That's absurd. They're in, in the strike shortened 81 season. I believe like the leaders in the AL had had 22 homers. Like it's right now everyone, every team has four guys with 20 home runs. So I think that the appropriate thing to do, this is a Schilling Johnson situation uh, yeah. in, in 2001 and I really believe the appropriate thing to do is to split the award and give it to both of them. 
Yeah, and, and I don't know. I was actually discussing this with Tango, whether or not you're even allowed to vote for two. Like there have been ties, but the ties have come naturally in the past. Um, I don't know if you're allowed to split your vote, um, but honestly, I, they're, the, they're the same guy. I mean, yeah. not only are they pitching the same, they do it the same way. I mean, they're both like the same. You know, I wrote about this. They're both tall, right-handed power you know, pitchers who throw fastball slider change up. I mean, it's, they're, they're the same guy. And, and I do wonder, I, I don't know if there's anything to this, but I do wonder if that does hurt him in a short series where you're kind of giving uh hitters pretty much the same. I mean, you have Granky to, to break it all up. Right. So you don't have to worry about that, but, but you, you're kind of seeing, you know, Verlander and Cole, it's like, you're seeing that, same approach day, you know, game after game. And I do wonder if batters can get used to that. Maybe not. I do you realize like, how do you, how do you bet on anybody, but the Astros in the postseason? like their third starter is Zach Grinke, who this year (laughs) is 17 and five with a three ERA and 200 innings. He's got a 1.0 whip. He's got a, like, he's got like, he's a, he's like a legitimate Cy Young candidate. He's their third starter. Like, Oh yeah. it's oh, yeah. really uh, it's their their pitching staff is so much better than everybody else's. Like so so far and away the best pitching staff. And then you look at their lineup, and it's like their leadoff hitter has thirty nine home runs, and Altuve, who has played like half the year, has like has closing in on thirty. And then they, they've got an enormous lizard monster named Jordan Alvarez, <laughs> who hits everything hard all the time and is forty feet tall. Like I I mean. I, I don't know how – what uh, – how do you bet against them? I, I just can't imagine. Look, they're, the, they're the best team. They're the best team, and you're right. They seem utterly built for a short series because of that rotation and because they they everybody hits bombs. I mean, George Springer has 38 home runs in 116 games. I mean, and that's – it's nuts. They're They're absolutely nuts. And that's why it's going to really hurt when the Yankees beat them. That's going to just hurt <laughs> so much. Springer, Springer has 38. Gurriel has 30. Altuve has 30 in 190. He has 30. And nobody, I was going to say, and nobody even thinks he's having that good a year. You Bregman know? has like, 39. Jordan Alvarez has 27 homers in 82 games. He's played half a season, and he has 27 homers in 77 RBI. And a one point. Gurriel has 21 yeah. homers in 75 games. I mean, it's like this This team is is – they're crazy. They're it's crazy, crazy good. man. Yeah. Jordan Alvarez is listed at 6'5", 225. They're off by a foot and 100 pounds. <laughs> <laughs> he is he is truly a giant. He is just a giant. All right. Mike Leake is actually leading the league in home runs, by the way. So he is not going to get to the Bly 11, but he has 40, which is legit. That's pretty good. To give up 40. Yeah. To give up 40 home runs. I'm actually surprised. and We're going to get to the homer sheet here literally in four minutes. But – uh, I am surprised that more pitchers have not are not giving up 40, 45 type numbers in home runs just because so many home runs are flying out. But that's really because no pitchers pitch any innings anymore, right? Yeah. I mean, it's like, you know, that's 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 what you get when you get so many different pitchers. All right. Uh, I think, you know, we're not going to really – Luis Castillo thing kind of died out already. Uh, so I think we've hit pretty much all of the – all of the podcast players, I believe. Um and even if we haven't, we have to move on because uh, let's talk a little bit about – well, let's talk about two things. So we're going to talk about the Homer sheet, but part of the Homer sheet, as I mentioned, is the Castellanos uh, page. We also have a special page for the Houston Astros who we were just talking about. Uh, we are tracking how many intentional walks 
the Houston Astros uh, have this year. Uh, we are going game by game and with a little commentary on each game. And so far, have you have you totaled up the numbers uh, I, on that? Uh, one? Let me just – I can do it real quick. This will only take a second. Uh, let me just – Okay, go ahead. Here, and it is zero. Zero. Zero intentional walk. So I am rooting for the Astros so desperately only because of these zero intentional walks. That's so great. That's so great to me that, you know, because because you've had people that are like, yeah, the intentional walk is it's stupid and it's it's a it's it's almost always, you know, bad baseball and 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 it's also anti-competitive and all this. And the Astros went, we're not going to walk intentionally walk a single batter this year. That's right. That's that's so great. That is so great. That Astros team, there there are really incredibly likable qualities to that team, aren't there? There really are. I really love them. I actually think because of Trout's injury, Bregman's going to win the MVP. Do you feel that too? Like, yeah, you know what? The momentum seems to be going. I don't agree with it, though. It, it's. I mean, look, you can you can They're make both an great, argument. Not, you could, and it's not like Bregman, as we've talked about. To me, the big issue is when they give somebody the MVP who did not have an MVP season. I mean, and that's happened several times. Sure. Bregman is having an MVP season. Right. I mean, it's not it's not going to be a, a wrong if Bregman wins it. He's had an unbelievably great season for a great team. Um, I just I just don't think you can under you can appreciate enough how good Mike Trout is. I just think that's what it comes down I, to. My only argument would be that at a certain point we have. <laughs> <laughs> it's like we have at least you and i have right like uh um right. you you have said definitively this guy is the greatest guy we'll ever well he's the greatest player we'll ever see um yeah. bragman plays incredible defense too he uh he's having an absurd year he is the he's the out on that he's the guy on that team that you're the least happy to see come up sure. even given sure. jordan alvarez even given george springer like bragman comes up and you just feel like you're in trouble He's yeah. a goal, he's a you know whatever gold glove caliber third baseman. He can play top. He can play anything you want him to play. He's an eight win player by Fangraphs this or by uh, Baseball Reference this year. Like he's having an MVP season and he played the whole year. Like he he's going to end up yeah. like that does matter at does some matter. level. Like War it is accounting for that. He also by the way leads now leads the league in walks. Uh, he he's walked 112 times and only struck out 81. I don't know that there's that many guys who hit 40 home runs in this day and age, who walked 30 times more than they've struck out. Even Trout doesn't do that uh, really? all the time. So uh, I don't know. I, I I would be fine with it. I think if he wins the MVP, I'd be fine with it. And we can just still remind ourselves all the time how great well, Mike Trout is. And, and, and let's be honest. Your point is not wrong that Trout has been hurt. I mean, you know, look, it's it's you, you, it adds up. I mean, at some if Trout had gotten hurt two weeks earlier, then you would say, well, you know, the, the, that's that's fourteen more games he missed. Right. At one point, you would have said that Bregman passed him. So the question is, you know, did he pass him in the last three weeks, or did he pass him if he'd gotten hurt earlier or whatever? At some point, we know that matters. So. You know, I think if it's again, if if in your mind you have it as a tie, somebody's gonna have to. You're gonna have to vote for. Uh, as, as I understand it, you're going to have to vote for Verla for Verlander, or you're going to have to vote for Cole. I mean, you might think in your mind it's a coin flip, but you're going to have to vote for, root for uh, vote for one. Bregman and Trout is going to be pretty close to a coin flip too. Yeah. And if you say to yourself, "Look, it's a coin flip. I'm going to take the guy that that has been there all year," um, I'm not going to argue with that. I'm, I'm not. I, yeah. I mean, I don't. I don't think that's wrong at all. If Trout played the full year and was 
you know, a win and a half or two wins better, then I would argue with that. Then I would say, yeah. you know, look, as great as Bregman year was, it wasn't as good as Trout's. But I, 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 I'm not going to make that argument. And Bregman is ridiculous. You made the point. You texted me the other day just talking about just reminding how amazing that play was he made in the World Series two years ago. It's, a, it's, it's, it, it's, it's not well, – it will never be as famous as like Willie Mays' catch or whatever. I think it's the best defensive play, I've, given, the, given the situation. Yes. I think it's one of the best defensive plays I've ever seen. That he, right. he picked that ball and had to make a throw, not just an accurate throw. Not just it's not just if the throw is is you know a foot to either side of the plate, the guy's safe. It's that it has to be thrown and it has to be caught essentially in the place where the tag has to be. Exactly right, right it, where the tag had to be. And uh, it, it is it is an unbelievable defensive play, and like it's it should be shown. It's not like the sexiest play because it's just an infield grounder. It's not like a cannon of a throw from the outfield or something. It should be shown in every compilation of great World Series plays ever. Hundred percent right. It, they should. I mean, it doesn't look as flashy as like the Brooks Robinson plays or the Greg Nattles plays at third base, but it's every bit as good as any of them. Just because that throw was that throw. You look at that throw and watch it, and just tell me how often somebody makes that throw. Yeah, it's impossible. It's an impossible throw in the biggest moment. It was. It's insane. Insane. All right, let's talk about Homer Sheet. So. Uh, for those of you who don't know, uh, Mike and I uh, keep a sheet. Uh, it's a Google uh, Google sheet of the number of home runs, uh, the number of players who have hit uh, X number of home runs or more. So uh, I can tell you today, because it just went yellow today, 536 players have now hit a home run in 2019, and that ties the record, which was set last year. So that record is going down. Uh, 536 home runs. Uh, but we can tell you that there is the record has been set for every home run between two and 21, right, right? Right. And also every record has been set between 25 and 32. Right. So uh, 42 players have hit uh, a home run. 42 players have hit 32 home runs. Or more. Which, by the way, that's insane. Or more, right. Everything is or more. So at least 42 home runs. Uh, for at least 32 home runs, 42 different players have done it, which is insane. That's more than one per team. Right. Right. Have hit 32 home runs. 32 home runs led the league in, in, in 1976. So yeah. 32 home runs is, is, is a lot and 42 different players have done it. Uh, but we are, we are still on pins and needles because the records have not been set uh, at 22 homers, 23 homers or 24 homers. And um, it's not a lock. It's no, not it's a not lock. a lock. I I think that I, I there's 14 guys who are one who have 21 exactly. Yes. yes. So I think that'll fall. Uh, whether we get 23 or 24, I don't know. There's 10 guys who are one away from 24. There's nine guys who are one away from 23. I think I think they'll go down. We have another week. I think they'll go down. They'll probably go down. We could go as high as 35. So yeah, that's we, 33 we, and 34 are one are, and two away, respectively. Right, uh, right. 35 is five 35 away. Is five yeah. away. That's going to be tough. That's going to be tough. But there are seven guys with 34. So it's it's not impossible. I said this, I, get, I put this on Twitter the other day. My favorite stat of all of these is in 1989, 30 years ago, I looked it up. There were five guys in the American League who had 30 home runs. This year, there are five Minnesota Twins who have 30 home runs. 
It's, it's not. It is absolutely nuts. And you just went through the Astros, and we did. We said it like it was nothing. They've got three guys, four guys, who have 30 home runs. Yeah, and they'll uh, on have another team. one in another day because <laughs> Alvarez <laughs> won three tonight. Alvarez won three tonight. So they have four guys who have done 30 runs. It's not even a thing we talk about because of so many home runs been hit. Here, like, the, oh, yeah, here's yeah. The, yeah, here's the important thing to me, though, right? So from homers 1 through 27 – Every single one of those records, for the most people having at least that number of home runs, was set in 2017 or 2018. So right. sometime in the last two years of this juiced ball, blah, blah, blah. However, starting at 28, these records are 20 years old. 28 and, yes. and, and 29 and 30 were set in 2000, 30 and 31, and 32 and 33 were set in 99. The, the rest of them were set basically in 99, at the height of the PED era, right? So. Right. It's not it's like this kind of widespread juiced ball thing is a, is like just fattening this bell curve so much that we're it's also bleeding into the end of the bell curve where up above 30 or 27 really these records that have stood since since the PED era are now falling and they're falling hard like yes, it, it's yes. that's the other thing here is the the record you know some of these records were have been increased by you know one percent two percent three percent which is you know what amount like for example fifteen homers or fourteen homers the old record was one eighty five and the new record is one eighty nine and that stands right. to reason right because and if you go back even further it's like you know the record for three homers was four hundred and four and now it's four hundred and eighteen because there's only so many people who can actually play major league baseball in a given right. year but right. then you get up higher and you get up into the high twenties. Like the 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 old record for twenty seven homers was fifty eight guys, this year sixty nine guys. So that's yeah. a twenty. It's essentially a nineteen percent increase. It's a twenty two and a half percent increase at twenty nine homers from forty nine to sixty. Like yeah. these records are up there at the at the you know thirty homer around thirty homers. These records are tumbling and they're 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 being they're being passed significantly like by large numbers of dudes so like that to me is the is weirdly the the best indication of just how homer happy baseball is right now because not it's not just like a bunch of guys are hitting a home run or a bunch of guys are hitting 10 way more people are hitting 27 28 29 30 than have ever done that before including recent years of the juiced ball and Absolutely all the right. same kind of offensive uh, approaches and stuff. Like these are twenty-year-old records, and they're crumbling. They're just falling like crazy. And and then you get higher into the thirty-five to to fifty. And look, there's still a ton of people hitting. Though I mean, you know, the nine people had forty home runs this year. Um, but they're not quite record level. They're not quite to that level of where those PD guys were. Uh, and we're calling PD guys the Sela guys. That era was. Um, and, and, you know, that's just, you had a few individuals who were just, had pulled away from the rest of baseball and were hitting home runs. That's not really happened this year. I mean, Alonzo as the, the, the 50 and, and Eugenio Suarez as 48, which is like nuts and all that. But, but generally speaking, it's all in that 20 to 30 range, right? 20 to 35. Yeah. yeah. It's that range. range. We're just seeing things we've never seen before in that. Yeah. Yeah, and again, I mean, you can say this happens every year, but you've also had guys like Aaron Judge and Gary Sanchez and Encarnacion missed a lot of time, and there's a bunch of and Trout right. was injured and and Yelich went down. Like, there's a bunch of guys 
who are in the like mid, like wouldn't ordinarily be in the 40 to 50 range who just right. lost a bunch of time. Now, again, of course, it's that also probably cool, happened though. in 1996 or whatever, but it, it, what you've, the, the number of, I mean, you're talking about 28 or 29 or 30 individual home run records that are going to fall this year. Like it, it just, it's, it's so hard when you look at this sheet, it's just so impossible to make any argument other than the ball is different. It's flying farther. Something needs to be done unless they don't care. Unless baseball is just like, yeah, we did this intentionally. This is what we want. I don't know. I don't know that it's good or bad. I have no idea. I cannot predict whether this is good or bad. All I know is this is, uh, it's not sustainable. Like you can't keep altering the game to increase home runs at this rate every year. I mean, you know, just like we said, you know, a bunch of these records are 20 years old. The flip side is all the other ones are two years old. Like right. <laughs> so, right. you know, all the records that were said two years ago are also falling. So it's, it's, I don't know. I don't know what to make of it. I don't know if it's good or bad. I don't know what the deal is, but I just know that you can't do this every year. You can't just keep, you, you, you can't, it's like the stock market. It doesn't go up forever. At some point it crashes and they're, uh, they, they, I hope they have a plan here. I don't know what the plan would be, but I hope they have a plan because this is not a sustainable way to run a sport. Well, it's really tough, and we should end with this because we should end with this kind of conversation because uh, because we are not this is this is sort of an emergency podcast because you're about to go on vacation and 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 all of that. So we're not gonna we, we're not gonna do a draft. We're not doing the last meaningless thing. So we should end with this idea, and that is, um, what does baseball do? And and let's let's throw this part in there, okay? You know, with all of these home runs going by, if they suddenly pull the pull back the baseball because one thing that's really interesting about this particular year is the baseball being juiced, putting quotations around juiced means something very different this year. Nobody really thinks the baseball is juiced in the sense of they purposely tried to make it. So it flies out. Maybe they did, but nobody really seems to think that they created a more perfect baseball is what they did. Right. right? We, we saw this in the Cubs dugout, the ball's rounder, the seams are lower. It's smoother. It's just a better baseball. It's not. It's not a. You know. It's. It's like. So do they make it less good? Like right? Do they like ah? Let's make it so it does. It's not quite as round as this one. Or let's raise the seams and and create more blister problems. Or make it not as smooth. They. I think they've got a real issue in the fact that what they have done to the baseball actually makes a lot of sense. It's like it's that's what you're supposed to do is kind of make the equipment better than it used to be. Right. So, so that's one issue. But the second issue is as much as some people are beefing about it, are you telling me that they really want fewer home runs? I I don't think they do. I mean, I know that, that, that some of us, but some of us will feel like the game has lost its rhythm. It's a different rhythm. And I think you and I have discussed that. And there's, there's certainly an argument to be made, but Ain't nobody's gonna leave the game and they're gonna say, "Why did you stop being a baseball fan?" Yeah, there were just too many home runs. I just, I just, at some point, I couldn't stand it anymore. All those home runs. I, I don't. I know that baseball has to have all kinds of studies that show how people feel about it, but I, I gotta believe this is gonna keep going. I don't know if it's gonna get. Hopefully, it's not gonna get more so. You know, hopefully, it's you know. But I don't. I don't think we're going to see next year suddenly the home runs drop off significantly. I don't think that's what baseball wants. Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, I just, I guess I just mean that 
the players have changed. We talked a little bit about this in Chicago, but yes. the players yeah, have changed have. so much. Like spring training used to actually be the time when like the players would show up and they'd been smoking and drinking and eating steak all year. <laughs> and they all needed year. six weeks all, all winter and they needed six weeks to like get back in shape. Now they're doing like advanced isometric plyometric training all off season and they're all monsters and they all have 1.4% body fat and enormous uh, lats and they and where you see it, and I, I complain all the time about Yankee Stadium, about how many right-handed hitters in Yankee Stadium just they get pitched like you're taught to pitch right-handed hitters down and away, right. and they right. reach down out, and they yeah. just poke the ball out to right field. And yep. I sometimes take screenshots of the uh, MLB barrel alert t- Twitter that shows a 338-foot home run from a right-handed hitter at Yankee Stadium and send it to you and complain. And the, yes. the but the thing is, is like everybody can do that they are just that strong they're that strong and that good and it's a thing that you that used to be if you wanted to uh, if you wanted to hit a home run you had to pull it right there were very few yes. people in the league who had that kind of opposite field power that was, was a rare thing now literally everyone has that up every person has that opposite field power where they can go down and get the ball and drive That's it true. out to right field especially in a tinker toy baseball stadium like uh, the new yankee stadium so that like you talk about like making adjustments to the game well like that's an adjustment that the game hasn't adjusted right. to that is just a right. it's just a a, a a new fact about the game like when tiger Woods showed up when he started destroying everybody like the masters made changes to their course they well, like lengthened their fairways and stuff because it was like well this is this person is making a mockery of the concept of golf and we have to adjust and baseball just doesn't doesn't care to. And and if that's their choice, that's their choice. And they might be banking on maintaining, keeping their audience by by uh, keeping up the number of home runs that are hit. That might be a strategy. That might be intentional. But they have not made any adjustments at all. And the the only adjustments they've made appear to be to increase the ability of players to hit home runs. And True. I and I guess my question is I don't know if that's good or not I'm not weighing in on this I don't who could who can the world could tell whether that's an effective strategy long term I just know that if they do nothing we're not this is just going to happen every year it's just going right. to keep getting worse and worse and worse well, it will be impossible for pitchers to get anyone out except by a strikeout because it'll every every at bat will be a strikeout or a home run well and that's exactly the point you hit the exact point which is. The unintended consequence of all these home runs, pitchers have to go for strikeouts. That's the only the only way you can feel confident that you're going to – because everything they're putting in play seems to be home runs. So you have to go for the strikeout. And, of course, strikeouts are way up and have been for, you know, whatever, 15 consecutive years. Strikeouts have gone up. And and uh, and home runs now are, are, you know, the more home runs, the more strikeouts. The more strikeouts, the more home runs. I mean, it is – it is a death cycle. I do believe that. And I do believe baseball needs to do something about it. I just don't think they're going to do something urgent and immediate about it. I just don't – I would be very, very surprised if they said, okay, we're taking the baseball back. Because if they take the baseball back, then the strikeouts don't stop. They keep going. But now home runs are down. Now we're back in where we were in 2014 where nobody was scoring runs. Right. And and it was – and the game was was very, very different. And, you know, the, the great thing, everybody says, I love a one nothing game. Well, part of a great one nothing game is you get to see great defense. Like, that's part of what makes it great. But with all the strikeouts, you're seeing less and less balls in play, less and less great defense. 
you know, small run strategies are just, they've always been shaky, but now they're ridiculous. Why would you ever bunt when anybody can hit the ball out of the park? I mean, it's, you know, it's ridiculous. So they have a real puzzle. I'm not trying to downplay that at all. There's a, there's a long-term puzzle that baseball has to face. And you're right. You look at golf. I actually asked somebody this year what Tiger, today's Tiger Woods or you know, one of these great players, Brooks Kepka or somebody, what they would have score on the Masters golf tournament uh, course in 1997. Like if they brought that golf course back right. where, where like par fives were like literally chipping, they were chipping like into par five. Th- a 324 yard <laughs> par five, yeah. <laughs> and they said, yeah, these guys would be would be challenging 59. Like every, like like they really would be. I mean, the, you know, they, it's still hard to pot. So, you know, they might not get there, but somebody would, somebody would score 59. And, and, uh, and it would be ridiculous. And so, so that is, that is a question baseball has to face golf. Actually, it's a great comparison. There's a, there's a sport that it's all built on history, all built on tradition. They just, they didn't hesitate. They started ripping up these, these great old golf courses and like, yep, that's gotta be 25 yards longer, 50 yards longer. This has got to be changed. This has got to be fixed. Baseball's done nothing. So you know, maybe they should take a, a little page out of what golf did because uh, it's not sustainable long term. I mean, we can't. Nobody's going to want to watch a game. Not nobody, but it's going to be harder to watch a game where you're averaging 11 strikeouts a game and and uh, and five home runs a game. I mean, for that's, the that's for just, the record, the, one of the most exciting moments of the games that we saw in Chicago was Tony Kemp hitting a triple. It was oh really gosh, fun. Was it was really that's exciting, so and I kind of think that the solution is to like in the very, very old days of baseball, like yeah. there was, I think it was old John McGraw stadium or something. It was one of those stadiums. It was like four forty down the lines and five fifty to dead center. And the, and like, you know, there's like old black and white photographs of people having picnics basically on the warning track in the outfield. Now I don't know if we should go back to that, but don't you think that there is a world in which it's really fun to have a baseball stadium that is, you know, 375 down the lines and 500 feet to center field that it's essentially impossible to hit a ball out of. And you just, I, ton of triples. Like, that's what you want is a ton of triples. Now, the the union would never agree to it, right? Because these guys make their money from hitting home runs. And they no one wants to play in a stadium where there's no ability to hit a home run. And right. I get it. Of course, it'll never happen. However, it would be really fun. If there were, maybe there should be one, they're doing all this neutral site stuff now, right? They're doing neutral site. They're playing in London and they're playing at the Field of Dreams Stadium next right. year, whatever. They should find a stadium somewhere, build a stadium where it is where it is like that, where for like three games, there's no homers, but there's a ton of triples. <laughs> and like inside the park home runs. I think that would be really fun. Well, I would love it. And especially I would love it because if you, if let's say you really did do it like 380 down the lines and all the way out to 525 out in center, something like that, somebody would still hit a home run. Like, like these guys are so strong, but it would be so exciting to see somebody try to hit a home run in that kind of ballpark. Right. I mean, and you'd have all the triples and you'd have everything else. And you would definitely want to put the ball in play because you're not hitting, you're not swinging for the fences in that situation at all. And we'd see unbelievable outfield defense. And I mean, it would be so thrilling and exciting to see if the home run was just on the outer edge of what human capacity is. Right. Where, where like, 
it would literally take your like Jordan would still hit a home run. Like he would hit like some 497 football down the line or something that was that was a home run. And it would be it would bring the home run back. It would make the home run so exciting if they did that. I'd love to see it. I'd yeah. love to see them at least try. I mean, you know? or they should just build like a retractable outfield fence in Colorado <laughs> or Arizona, like at altitude, and just have it be the like for one series a year. The the stadium just there's no there's no fence, and they just the like, retractable they, fence yeah. is the greatest idea yeah. ever. Yeah, they just move in and out every inning. <laughs> this inning, it's two eighty to left. <laughs> what, what if they could do it with the whole stance where you were sitting in the stands and they just made an announcement like, "Oh, because of the weather today, we're bringing the fences out," yeah, you know, and like, then you were seatbelts on the on the yeah, exactly. bleachers, you, know? and you just start going backward. I would be. Who wouldn't go to those games? By the way, I mean, Everybody. everyone would go. It would be great. <laughs> we fixed baseball. You're welcome. <laughs> You're welcome. We've done it. All right, Mike. Well, Thursday, the premiere of uh, of The Good Place. That's Everybody, right. if, you, if you've not seen it, if you've not watched the first three seasons, if you've only seen like season one, go to Netflix this minute. You still have time. Right. You just, you just don't sleep. Sleeping is not that important. Yeah, you can catch up on sleep, you know. TV TV's what's important. <laughs> Ignore your families. Catch up on sleep later. Do the thing that matters in the world, which is watch television. It is exciting. Thursday night, uh, what time is it? It's it because uh, it's uh, I don't know. I don't know. Eight thirty. I'm guessing it's nine. I can't. I don't remember. It's a Thursday night on NBC. Just set your. You all have DVRs. Just set your DVR. Yeah, you're going to do that anyway. You're going to watch it on Hulu or whatever. So, uh, but it is. Uh, yeah. Yes. Thursday. It is coming out. Mike. As always. Thank you. Thanks for having me.